This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Hall, joined by my co-host, Jacob Rudner, and we are here to talk a little Charlotte, the first ever matchup between the Gators and the 49ers, took place this past weekend at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And let me just get right into it, Jacob, because it's been a couple days since Florida took the field. And this was a little bit of an underwhelming one for Florida. The Gators were a 28-point favorite coming into this game. Many people expected them to have no trouble blowing out Charlotte and getting their inexperienced young players in the game for the second half. But As people would find out, that was not really the case there. As Charlotte hung around, the Gators failed to execute in the red zone uh, consistently, had to settle for field goals. And yeah, I I think it was just, it wasn't McNeese. And that wasn't quite what some people were expecting for a team coming off of a dominant win over Tennessee, a double-digit win over uh, number 11 ranked program at the time in the country. It was a little bit of a underwhelming one and that made sense considering it was situated between two sec contests but we we got to talk about it what did you see out of that game from the offensive perspective i know florida was able to execute early but let's just talk about a little bit of their issues throughout the night just what stood out to you from an offensive side of the football that was what held the gators back a little bit against the 49ers yeah let me start with some positives actually i think that i think that in, in a victory, and we've established this on this podcast already, it, a victory is a victory. And, 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 and at the end of the day, you know, Florida continues to win. Florida is ranked 22nd in the country. Florida is 3-1. and one. It's on its first three-game winning streak uh, since 2020, which is very significant. Uh, I think that we can both agree that maybe while there hasn't been the level of progress that we might have wanted to see in areas like special teams, which I will certainly get into, uh, or even downfield passing and explosiveness. I do think we can agree that this is an improved football team relative to what we saw last year. Um, This is a a, a team that looks, to me at least, uh, more coherent offensively than it did a year ago. Uh, I have been, you know, or or at least I continue to be, and if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me say this before, and you've heard Graham say this, uh, I continue to be impressed with Graham Mertz's production and his efficiency uh, and his ability to move the ball. I was still impressed by Graham Mertz in this game, uh, especially in the downfield department. And so the positive I want to hit on here first is I actually thought Florida did demonstrate some explosiveness in this game, almost 200 yards of downfield passing of explosive passing. Uh, and, And for those of you who don't know, explosive plays on a pass is anything of 15 or more yards. Florida had, I believe, eight of those plays off the top of my head, and it was like 186 total passing yards on explosives. We have not seen a Florida team under Billy Napier last year or this year effectively and consistently hit on downfield shots in any game. And that goes back to USF of last year. Florida really failed to do that. We saw Florida look very explosive on the ground last year, and we know that they're probably capable 
of doing that again this season. We saw Trevor Etienne hit on a 62-yard run already earlier this year. Uh, but we have not seen a, a whole lot of passing, especially in the very downfield variety in that intermediate to long range. This was a better showing in that respect. And I think that that was important. We needed to see that Florida was capable of doing it at the very least. Uh, we saw a little bit of creativity with the way that plays were called. One that stands out in particular, uh, and subscribers over at Swamp 247 already know my opinion on this. Uh, there was a fake bubble screen route to Khalil Jackson that brought him across the formation uh, in which he faked a bubble screen block procedure for Ricky Pearsall and instead ran a wheel route. It was like a delayed wheel uh, off of a fake bubble and Florida connected with him for an explosive play. That was huge. Um, I, I, I love that play. I think that, that was the most uh, creative play. I think I've seen Florida run over the course of the last 17 games since Napier took over. Of course, he is the offensive coordinator. Uh, now we can get to the negatives. And I would say that I was thoroughly unimpressed uh, with the way Florida operated in the red zone. I know I don't need to harp on this too much. Uh, Billy Napier has now said multiple times that that is a known issue. Florida will not be able to be effective in games, you know, moving forward against tougher competition. If it puts together a similar performance as it did against a team in Charlotte, that, that entered play ranked among the worst in the country defensively. So we're, we're not talking like Florida struggled against some high-powered defense here or a unit that's well-established and talented. Uh, we're talking about Florida struggling in the red zone against a, a defense that has been essentially nothing short of horrendous uh, since the start of this season. I mean, they got blown out of the water uh, by Georgia State, and, and Florida could not maintain that level of production that, that a team like, like Georgia State uh, was able to do uh, against Charlotte. And so for me... Uh, we need to see more potency still, or at least more consistent potency from this Florida offense. We need to see more creative play calling as the game goes on. I thought things got bland very quickly. Um, you know, a lot of that shot play success happened in the first half of the game and, and maybe even earlier in that first half when Florida was still kind of leaning on that early game script. Uh, but, but again, look, a, a win is a win. Uh, there was better downfield passing in this game. I thought defense looked really good. Uh, I'm going to dedicate a whole segment of the show to special teams, so I won't even mention it yet. Uh, but but we need to see more explosiveness on a consistent basis against good teams, uh, and we need to see more efficacy in that red area uh, in order for Florida to, to maintain a positive pace and trajectory on the season. Yeah, I've said before on the show and, and on Swamp 247 that Florida's offense is what it is. I, I know that there's a belief that Billy Napier – is maybe this conservative play caller. And while maybe that's a fair assessment, I do think a lot of it comes down to minimizing risk, what your quarterback does well, and what they're asking Graham Mertz to do right now. He's doing an extremely efficient job of doing that. And so it's hard for me to necessarily critique the players so much if they're playing within their role. I know that's a coaching speak type thing we hear all the time, playing within your role. But, but that really is what it comes down to with Graham Mertz. He is playing, running the offense that – they've designed around him, which is, I think a lot of different stuff, a lot more motion than some people were expecting. Um, you know, they're still right around 40% of their plays using 12 personnel while developing those young tight ends. This is a team that um, I, I think that Ricky Pearsall, and I'll talk about him more in, in a second here, you know, that guy continues to prove that he is a, with a quarterback that can get him the football. He is a very, very dynamic wide receiver and, needs to, I think, be consistently targeted within this offense. He showed that on Saturday, and I think his importance is only going to continue to increase with this team. I, I do think that we didn't even talk about the backfield so much. 
Uh, it, it looked like Trevor Etienne, after having a career high rushing yards against Tennessee, kind of took a backseat a little bit to Montreal Johnson, yeah. just had eight carries to Montreal 16. Some people speculated maybe that's, you know, by design limiting this guy's usage before he's going on the road to play against Kentucky. I don't know how much I really buy into that. I think that a lot of it's going to be situational for Florida, but I, I do think that ETN is a guy that you also want to look to get double digit carries against if you're in a situation that you need to run the football effectively and, and have some dynamic plays. He's a guy like Pearsall that you have to get him touches. And I think you would look for that to continue to increase. But I mentioned Ricky Pearsall. We got to just talk about it real quick. Where does that catch rank for you, Jacob, in terms of best catches you've seen live? I know for me, it's got to be, I want to say it's number one, right? I don't want to disrespect any former catches that I have seen, but that one just, you know, I had to look at the monitors above on the TV ahead of us to make sure I saw that correctly through the binoculars because I thought the guy just got absolutely rocked and no way he hung on to that football. And then I didn't even see it first that he caught it with one hand. I mean, just have you seen anything like that? I know you've covered Ricky Pearsall more than anyone else here on the Florida Gators beat. I know you've heard about how good he can be. You were one of the first ones that were saying that this guy is going to be an absolute weapon for this Florida offense and for head coach Billy Napier. Where did that exceed your expectations? Because it exceeded mine. Yeah. I mean, it was certainly the best catch I've seen in person, at least, you know, it's the first one that comes to memory. Nothing else really competes with it. Uh, And I have covered Ricky Pearsall since his freshman year of college uh, back at Arizona state. We actually, uh, moved to Gainesville within a couple months of each other. So I have literally covered every moment of this guy's career. I've never seen him do that. Never seen that before. I've been to plenty of Arizona state practices and I've seen some good catches uh, out of Ricky Pearsall. And like you said, I, I have long been confident that he would be a contributor at Florida. Uh, never have I seen him make what I thought was one of the best catches uh, I've seen period. I mean, it literally uh, is in the Odell Beckham category of wow. Uh, in, in my opinion, you know, and, and I've, you let me know in the comments on YouTube if you disagree, but I, I think that uh, that was certainly certainly way up there. And he, yeah, he, he is a, a very spectacular, you know, uh, catcher of the ball. He, he puts a lot of work into it, uh, has very surefire hands and, and is certainly proving a little bit this year, uh, maybe what he's worth at the next level. And, and we talked about that with Ricky uh, and with Billy Napier, who, who said that he thinks he word for word said that he thinks Ricky Pearsall is one of the most underrated receivers in the country. Uh, and maybe that's the case. So uh, great catch. I'm, I'm certainly excited to see what he's able to do this season from a production standpoint. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's a weapon for Florida for sure. The season moves so quickly that we can sometimes forget about all the great catches that you see throughout a campaign. So again, don't want to slight any former ones. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, only what Khalil Jackson had that amazing sideline grab where he was just absolutely almost, you know, horizontal with the field leaning out of bounds. Uh, just a fantastic catch. I mean, Florida's had a couple of really, really good ones this season. And Pearsall noted that that may not even be his best catch. He may have had a few better ones that he would rank higher than that in practice. So absolutely a weapon for Florida. But what also has been a weapon for the Gators this season has been the team's defense. This has been a unit that now is up to number five overall in total defense heading into this matchup with the Wildcats, which we are going to talk about later in the week in the Swamp 247 podcast. And this is a unit that just, while that front seven completely rebuilt, 
with young players as well, just an impressive unit, Jacob. And this was a test for them. I'm not going to say that this is a dynamic necessarily Charlotte offense, but it was a test in it that it was something Florida had not really seen before an offense that was going to rely on a lot of, a lot of read option type stuff and seeing how guys prepared for that, how they picked that stuff up. I thought Florida was effective against it. Obviously they gave up one touchdown, but what did you see against, you know, not a potent offense, but one that was a little bit of a different look for this overhauled Florida defense. What'd you see? I thought they performed well, uh, generally speaking. I think, like you just said, there were definitely some moments throughout this game where I thought Florida could have handled something a little bit better, could have read uh, a play and kind of fit the run better than it did in some instances. But again, you know, how much are you going to nitpick on a defense that was was mostly clean, gave up only one score over the course of the entire game, and again, has been excellent in terms of its statistical production through four games? You know, Graham... I think people forget at this point in the season, we are over now a third of the way through the regular season. It's been four games, and I think it's easy to write off a lot of things as it's still early. There's still a lot of football left to play. We are 33% of the way through the regular season. The stats matter now. The stats are indicative of, I think, Florida's success. Uh, The sample size is not maybe as small as some people are trying to make it out to be. And I would add this. You know, Florida has already played two very good teams. Utah looks like a very formidable squad. And and granted, did Florida win that game? No, but are we going to assign the blame on that heavily to the defense? I I don't think we are. I mean, 24 points, including one on on a, you know, granted a, a bad coverage bust, but the first play of the season for you defensively, and then you go on to play very well. Uh, I would say that they played great uh, against Tennessee. McNeese is McNeese. Uh, and, and Charlotte was effective. They, they only gave up a touchdown. I have been impressed with the pass rush. Uh, I am thinking that, you know, Florida's defensive line rotation is vastly superior to anything we saw last year. Uh, we watched Javon Dexter get overexposed game after game after game. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe it was right before Florida faced Georgia last year that Javon Dexter sh- straight up said, I'm exhausted. I, I, I am overused. I am, by the time we get to the third quarter, I feel like I've played a whole game. And the stats back that up. He was excellent in the first half and really struggled as games went on because he was playing way more reps than anybody else at his position in the SEC. Uh, That is not the case anymore. And it has allowed Florida's defensive linemen uh, to be far more effective than they were last year. The run stopping is really good. The pass defense is way better than I expected it to be, especially at that safety position, which has benefited greatly uh, from some young performances. One person, you know, subscribers and, and anybody really can look forward to uh, a story on over at Swamp 247 is Manny Nunnery, uh, a guy who has been surprisingly unique for Florida. Came in as a linebacker from Houston, somebody who had been very effective on special teams. He is playing in a very interesting role where he's spending some time at star as a defensive back. He's played a little bit of linebacker, he's played a little bit of edge. There, there are no players really who fit that mold of what he's doing uh, in the SEC right now, and he's played the job. He's done the job quite well, uh, and so I think a lot of credit goes to Austin Armstrong. As much credit goes to Florida's returning coaches. Mike Peterson is doing a heck of a job with his unit uh, along the edges. Sean Spencer, you know, we just shouted out the defensive line that is has been massively improved. Uh, Jay Bateman, Jay Bateman has not only recruited quite well, which I think has impressed a lot of people, but his unit is playing fantastic. Scooby Williams, Shamar James look great. 
Uh, Manny Nunnery, who I just mentioned, is a part of that. Looks great. Uh, safeties, Corey Raymond has been excellent. And, and of course, Austin Armstrong, you know, I mentioned him already, but, but such an impressive job. Uh, I, I look forward and we're going to get into this more in our next show this week, but this Kentucky game should be very interesting. I think that, uh, this is a unique opponent and that Kentucky is going to challenge Florida vertically in a way that we haven't seen yet. Joe Milton, Joe Milton's offense should have allowed him to do that. Joe Milton's uh, skill level seemingly prevented it from happening. Uh, and I am interested to see what Florida looks like when a solid quarterback like Devin Leary and good receivers like Kentucky has uh, are going to challenge the team down the field in that deep category in the shot play selection. Um, and how will Florida's young DBs respond to that? That's probably my biggest question regarding this unit. But, but generally speaking, super impressed, unbelievable turnaround. And this is currently a top 10 defense in the country. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Yeah, absolutely. The statistics indicate that. And Florida has done a fantastic job with implementing the new pieces, whether it's Nunnery, who, as you mentioned, you know, the guy was actually listed at safety when he was a prospect. So that speaks to, I think, his position versatility and the ability to play multiple roles depending on the system and some depth situations, I think, depending on where he's been at. So a guy with experience who looks to be playing a larger role moving forward. And, and maybe that will be a role that sees him contribute on special teams in a positive way, like he did at Houston, which brings us to the long awaited special teams discussion where Jacob can finally unload a little bit and share <laughs> his thoughts on a unit that through four games, even though they had, I mean, technically they just won the game on special teams. It is a unit that hasn't quite been a game changer unit for the better for the Gators Jacob, yeah. what 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 is going on with this unit and what do the Gators need to do moving forward? Okay, let me start with this. Uh, I read your comments on our YouTube videos and I appreciate the support that I have received. I will, I will say this though. Uh, it has been made clear to me that there is an opinion out there that I can be a little negative, uh, that I sometimes uh, can be somewhat of a curmudgeon 
when it comes to certain topics with regard to Florida football. So in an attempt to change that, let me start with the positive. Let's, let's be positive here first, okay? Uh, Florida did make a wise decision to change the starting kicker. Uh, had been using Adam Mahalik to start the season. That went very poorly. It took three and a half games, but Florida makes a change uh, and puts in Trey Smack. He is spectacular in his debut in the role. Excellent against Charlotte. Five for five, 54-yard field goal. He became the third Florida kicker ever to, to hit five in a game. He became the 12th Florida kicker ever to knock down from 54 or longer. That is a massive improvement, step in the right direction, good thing, positive, whatever you want to call it. That is great. Uh, Jeremy Crawshaw had a very nice game against Charlotte, had an average of over 50 yards per kick, only punted twice, but both of them inside the 20. We had seen some shanks from him earlier on in the season. That is, as Graham has indicated, a step in the right direction. Um, I think that Rocco Underwood, Florida's long snapper, much cleaner job against Charlotte relative to what we had seen maybe earlier on in the season against McNeese. Florida missed a field goal that was largely his responsibility after a bad snap. We did not see any bad snaps on five field goal attempts and a point after against Charlotte. Clean, good, fine, excellent. Where I have a problem. Now, now actually, let's, let's be clear here. Two things can be true at once. Florida can be making progress in areas such as its specialist play. Trey Smack did great. Jimmy Crawshaw did great. Rocco Underwood looked good. You know, that's fine. It's true. I'm not disputing that. I'm not trying to take that away from the team. What can also be and is true is that it's not acceptable to not get 11 guys on the field for a football play at the SEC level. This is high-level football high-level Power 5 Division One football that we're talking about here. And there are now five instances this season in four games where Florida has failed to put 11 players on the field for whatever reason on special teams. And so unless your standard is that you don't need 11 guys on the field 100% of the time, then there's no way that you can logically say that Florida's special teams have taken a step in the right direction. They can't even put... 11 guys on the field. And so in my opinion, there needs to be some sort of change. And, and Billy Napier has said, you know, explicitly that he does not believe Florida's issues with that unit are a byproduct of its coaching structure, you know, or, you know, the way that they handle things because it's tried and true. And he's used that strategy dating back to Louisiana and they don't have any intention to change it right now. Fine. That's fine. Whatever needs to happen to put 11 players on the field is, is the next step for this unit. And I have a very, very hard time giving the group the same kind of credit that Napier gave them in terms of we've taken this step in the right direction. We're showing improvement. It's hard for me to agree with that if you aren't putting the right personnel on the field or the right amount of personnel on the field. And whether the change is that somebody is hired over the offseason as a full-time special teams coordinator who can coordinate those things, whether it's somebody who oversees a little more of that operation who's already on the staff and is given a larger role, and, and it's not such a divide-and-conquer you know, assignment with special teams where every coach has a role, 
maybe that's the solution. I, I, I don't know how to fix this, but I do know that there is no world in which it's okay to not be fully staffed on the field with 11 guys. And, and that includes in instances like PATs. You know, Florida's first PAT against Tennessee. Tennessee scores in the first quarter on its opening drive, has a field goal to kick. Florida's got 10 guys on the field. What are we doing? That what where where possibly does the confusion lie? Third game of the season, PAT. There's no ambiguity about what's going on. They scored a touchdown, it's early, they're kicking. How are there not 11 guys on the field? Who is in charge of ensuring that everybody who belongs on the field and special teams gets on the field? That, I believe, is a big problem. I think it's something that we need to see addressed quickly here in order for Florida to maintain a positive trajectory with its season. I will remind everybody at this point, I did open with very positively, and it remains true, Florida's kicking situation has improved. Its punting looks to be trending in the right direction. Long snapper play has been good too. That being said, unacceptable to not put 11 guys on the field once, let alone five times in four games. Uh, and if that doesn't get cleaned up, uh, you know, major changes to the way that unit operates and who is operating it uh, must occur, in my opinion, in order for Florida to maintain any sort of positive trajectory long term. I agree with you a lot on that. I do think some of the miscommunications are a little bit overblown at some times. And I understand that miscommunications with young teams happen. It's when it becomes a recurring thing, right, where. We've seen it six, maybe seven times this season where there's some validity to it, where clearly you need to fix something from a communication aspect to clean this thing up. I, I absolutely think that's when it becomes a valid point discussion. Until then, it's maybe not the greatest indictment or the biggest problem. It's the reoccurring thing, too. So we got to make sure we drive that home, at least in my opinion, because we don't want to seem like we're being overly critical of, you know, just not having enough guys on the field when it ultimately doesn't hurt the team in a double digit win. It's the fact that it could be a pattern that hurts a team's ability to compete later on in the season. And when you miss multiple PATs and don't have guys on the field, those things do add up in a game that can be decided by a couple of plays. And so this is why we're talking about it. Maybe it wasn't an issue that necessarily caused Florida to lose a game uh, recently, but it could be one that causes them to lose one in the future. I will say about Trey Smack, give him a lot of credit, uh, everyone out there, because last year the guy struggled with some minor injuries, and a lot of it was just due to how he, you know, prepared and how he stretched. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people maybe think that kicking is easy in a sense, not in any way to be able to do kickoffs, which he wasn't even fully prepared that he was going to do ahead of that Charlotte game, apparently. And then to kick five field goals, um, you know, that is a lot of, of activity for a guy. And I think he would tell you maybe even six months ago, he was not in a place physically where he thinks he could have been comfortable nailing all those kicks, even what a 54 yarder. So I think that was absolutely some progress for this Florida team from the special teams department, but obviously a lot that, is left to be desired moving forward in terms of a little bit more of a positive team. Now we're going to wrap up this episode of the swamp two, four, seven podcast. We're going to move on from Charlotte and we're going to talk about a team that is just getting underway in Gainesville in it's pre preparation for the upcoming season. That is the Florida men's basketball team as Todd golden begins year two in Gainesville with 
a lot of new pieces, a massive piece to fill in Colin Castleton. And we have finally got a look at how those pieces look on the court as the Gators open practice this week. Jacob, you were out there. I was out there for one of those sessions. You were out there for both of them. You have seen this team. What are your early impressions of how Florida has constructed their roster for this season and how those pieces are starting to fit together as the Gators open practice? Yeah, I, I, I will preface what I'm going to say with it's really early. And, and Graham and I have only witnessed two practices to this point uh, in preseason camp. And so uh, we don't have any grand takeaways yet. I think generally speaking, though, and, and that's kind of where we'll leave the basketball section of the show, just because, again, it's, it's so early. Um, I think that Florida, what's clear to me at this stage is that Florida did a really good job over the offseason of putting itself in a better position from a roster makeup standpoint. And I'm not talking about skill necessarily. I'm not talking about, you know, whether or not or how many games Florida is going to win. I'm talking purely about the construction of this roster and who is in Gainesville to do what role is better than it was a year ago. And it's really not close in my mind. I see a lot more depth uh, in that front court. They have options who are going to be able to play beyond just one starter, really, which last year, you know, everybody saw they lost Colin Castleton for the final, I think it was seven games of the regular season, plus their one MIT game. And it was a disaster for Florida. I mean, they looked like a completely different team, uh, just you know, miserable front court depth. Uh, and, and, and we've gone over the reasons as to why that kind of was the way that it was. Uh, this year, I don't foresee similar issues. I think that this is a group that is better equipped to be able to handle the loss of a player, potentially. We're even kind of seeing that right now. EJ Jarvis, Florida's transfer from Yale, uh, is not with the program at the moment and has no timetable for return uh, as he deals with what has been described as exclusively just a personal issue. Uh, and so obviously, you know, we wish him well. Uh, and so does the Florida basketball program. But the reality is, is that he's not there uh, and they're they're built to be able to handle that absence. And the backcourt is the same. I think that there's uh, a, a deeper well of players who I think are capable. Uh, I, I see the potential with this unit uh, to be a little bit more effective from beyond the three-point line, which is an area that I know Todd Golden uh, places a lot of emphasis and, and was very disappointed last year uh, with the with the field goal percentage from beyond the three-point line. That was it was it was it was like 31.3 percent, historically bad. Uh, at the University of Florida. Do I see that in the cards for this year's team? No, not so much. I think that they're better uh, equipped to be able to, to, to be a little bit more effective from long range. Uh, I see a little bit more depth out there. You know, I think that the, the talent level has been raised. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm encouraged by what we've seen so far. Uh, I, I don't want to give any more, you know, grand takes other than that. But, but I would say uh, through two practice and just practices and just kind of having eyes on the roster and who's here in Gainesville. Uh, I do think Florida took a step in the right direction. And I, and I think it'd be quite apparent on the court. Yeah. I think that's all really we can do right now is talk about how these pieces of the roster are beginning to look like how they mix together on the court. It's too soon to make some predictions or proclamations about how they're going to fare because a lot can change obviously. And how it fits on paper may not be how it looks on the court. So I'm absolutely intrigued to see how my opinion develops of this team over the coming weeks, especially in the buildup to the season. I know you are as well. And we're going to have all of our thoughts over at swamp247.com. Make sure you're checking out the site daily, nonstop content, the best coverage of the Florida Gators in the network. So make sure you're staying tuned and we'll be back very soon 
to preview Florida's trip to Lexington, Kentucky, where the Gators are looking to hand the Wildcats their first loss of the season. For Graham Hall, this has been Jacob Rudner. We'll be back soon.